guys i realized that so i used to do the music episodes and like the last one i did i basically just played music there wasn't any real like alex cast content so i was like that's bullshit that doesn't even count as a show so I was like you know i knew i didn't technically get the 300 episodes so i figured all right i'll plug all the equipment back in do another show so you know i've done 300 then i can retire i'll do a whole thing and it'll be you know, it'll be great. So anyway, it's going to be like 300, you know, whatever this episode, but, you know, just to try to get there. So on that note, I've invited a longtime listener, uh, debatable stalker, uh, Miss Stephanie Quick on the show. Hello. Hi, I'm glad you added the stalker thing there. I think it's pretty much warranted. So, well, you know, if you if you mention things like that to me and and you <laughs> you should know better having listened to a lot of this show. There's no way it doesn't get mentioned. It's just, you know, it it happens. Uh, you know, there's every time every time other stuff comes on, a a flashlight gets brought up. Uh, it's it's this show. The worst things that can happen will happen. It is the rules. Yeah. So well, this makes it fun, though. Yeah, I, I I guess I don't know. I just I'm just trying to kill an hour of my time and everybody else's. It's there what I'm go. here for. That's actually good. A- that's an admirable thing. There's a lot of times when, you know, you're awake at three in the morning or something and trying to ignore whatever's keeping you awake. And it's nice to have something uh, fun to listen to. Yeah, I. it's one of those weird compliments I get every now and again. The few times people actually admit to listening to the show is, oh, yeah, I listen to you to go to sleep, which I think non-podcasters would think that's an insult. But to me, I find that a high compliment because that means, oh, I have a calming voice and you, you find me you know, you trustable enough to be in your ears as you go to sleep. Like that's a good thing. Exactly. No, it's a, it's a pretty intimate thing to do to, you know, be, let someone be in your uh, ears and in your mind as you're drifting off that way. So I, I think it's a, it's a really nice compliment. So. All right, good. All right. So we've, we've established that I'm great. Let's get on to you. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. How do we introduce, introduce yourself? What's, what's, what's your deal? What's, who, who are you? Tell, tell the audience. I know who you are, but. Oh. I'm a bad interviewer. Give uh, give your well, CV. What? <laughs> give your CV, your curriculum vitae. <laughs> um, well, uh, now I'm on the spot. I don't know. I'm just kind of a regular person. I don't know. I it was always interested in uh, the esoteric and kind of what was behind the normal facade of everyday life. Um, so when I was, you know, younger in elementary school, stuff like that, I was very interested in science and I was also very interested in, uh, paranormal stuff, uh, flying saucers, ghosts, that type of stuff. Um, and then as I grew older, I became uh, more interested in high school. Actually, we had a yoga class. This was like in the 1970s. So I guess it, it was kind of unusual then. So I became more interested in those type of practices. And then I became very ill 
with some type of autoimmune thing, probably when I was around 15. I missed about a year of school, which was very rough. And then it came back again when I was about 21. And I became very ill again, ended up in the hospital and had a major uh, near-death experience. And I was in convulsions for 20 minutes after a medical procedure they did to try and turn around this autoimmune asthma thing that I was having that wasn't responding to treatment. So, of course, that got me even more interested in all the stuff I was interested in before. And in that uh, experience, I was actually given some uh, practices um, like uh, mindfulness, mindfulness meditation and some kind of simple chakra exercise, exercises, uh, no mind kind of transmission. So I worked with those for a number of years. And then when I was in my early 30s, I had uh, been with this guy for several years. We were engaged and that fell apart. So I ended up moving into a Tibetan Buddhist meditation center and I lived there for a couple years. And um, when I was there, I met uh, probably my biggest teacher, um, Leslie Temple Thurston. And I, at that point, she was coming up to the Bay Area. She lives in Santa Fe, I believe, and also South Africa. She's from South Africa. So she was coming to the Bay Area like uh, once a month, and she'd have a whole weekend where everyone would just sit, and she'd, you know, we'd all meditate together, and she'd talk some and uh, for like two eight-hour days. And so I did that for a couple of years. And um, I don't know, just this time, I've just always had an interest and I've had, you know, a number of different experiences. Oh, I guess in uh, 2014, 2015, I'd always had an interest in synchronicities as well. And maybe uh, trying to precipitate some of them, seeing if you could kind of, through attention and intention, uh, generate some and, and just kind of see where that went. So I uh, am a fan of Radio Mysterioso and Greg Bishop. And um, so a fellow listener and I named Steve Ray um, devised this experiment where it was uh, Steve's uh, experimental design. We'd only communicate over uh, electronic media, email, uh, Facebook, Messenger, that type of thing. And uh, Radio Mysterio, Mysterioso at that time was also a, uh, in addition to a podcast radio show, and they would have, he would have live broadcasts most Sunday nights not every Sunday night, most of them out of this uh, pirate radio station down in L.A. So what we would do is before uh, the next broadcast, hopefully at least a week or two, we'd choose like a target word, for example, heat, um, try and drum up some energy towards that and see if we could get something to show up in the live broadcast that would reflect that target word. So heat was a great uh success because poor Greg was sitting there broadcasting away and suddenly you hear him in this really he's a very wholesome sweet guy and um you hear him he just sounds so dismayed because there's smoke coming from the car next to his right outside this this right outside the studio and he has to run outside and see because the car parked next to his on the street had caught on fire oh during that's, the broadcast. that's pretty so, heat that's pretty heatful <laughs> yeah all right, so I blame Steve. <laughs> so we're 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 lifelong uh, lifelong weirdo as 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 I in a, in, a, in a very good way. I normal people are boring, and I don't like being near them. Um, let's let's go through. Let's go back. We're cycling around. So anyway, oh listeners, we're eventually gonna we're we're gonna try to talk about prophecy at some point during the show. But since yeah, it's an Alex cast, yeah, it, since it's an Alex cast, it's possible we never get there because. It's possible. That's that's <laughs> how it works. I've had many shows where the dreaded show prep. Uh, never shows up and I end up having a whole conversation with some of other things. But let's start with the thing I'm 
well, I don't know jealous is the wrong word because I don't want an autoimmune disorder, but a near-death experience. Mm-hmm. What 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 happened there? I mean, not the not physically. I get it. You got close to dying. That would be the boring answer. Like, what did you did you have a, a long hallway vertical experience? What's your what's your deal? Tell me tell me about that. Okay, so, um, basically, what I'll just about talk you through what to me I think you're interested in finding out about, and then you can tell me you know if you have any other questions or whatever. So, I had uh, would get this thing where. Um, I would get kind of like asthma type symptoms, but most asthma, actually these days they're finding out asthma is a bunch of different type of things. But what happened with me is I would get constricted bronchi and trouble breathing, inflammation there, and it just wouldn't let up. So for like months, you could be throwing all type of prednisone at me, every inhaler and stuff, and I'm still, you know, just completely wiped out, unable to do anything, lying in bed because... You know, this process is just going on. So I had ended up in the hospital when I was, what, 21, I guess. And um, I had been on intravenous steroids for about a week. And things weren't turning around. So the doctor decided to do this procedure, which was kind of unusual, but sometimes it works in people that have trouble like this. Basically, they take this... um, called a bronchoscope and it's this long flexible uh, kind of tube with a laser in it and it goes up your nose and down into your uh, bronchi like in your upper chest and it has this real strong laser light in it and they can also uh, take biopsies they can look down it and they can also spray stuff down it what they would do is spray lidocaine down there all over your bronchi like when you get your your teeth worked on to numb you up because in some people, this kind of breaks the cycle of the spasm. And actually, in my case, it did. But here's the trouble. Prior to this, I'd had my thyroid and my parathyroids out because of an autoimmune thyroid condition. And the parathyroids control your calcium metabolism. And calcium is very important for your nerves. Lidocaine sucks calcium out of your body. So what happened was... Um, he put this thing up my nose, and the weird thing is that you're looking down on your chest, and you can see this bright red light glowing through your chest because the laser's down there. It's so bright. Ooh, I want to do that. That sounds awesome. I mean, other than all the other stuff you described was awful, but like, oh, I oh, I want to see lights coming from my chest. That's some ET it's shit. Pretty, Sorry. It's pretty fun. I'm a child. It's, it's kind of wild. <laughs> yeah. Know? And uh, so then, you know, he starts pouring this lidocaine down, and... So, you know, you inhale, it's a liquid. So I'm inhaling as it's coming in and thinking about this healing stuff coming in through my head, right, down to my lungs. And, of course, they don't want to make these bronchoscopes bronchoscopes any longer than they need to be. So you're like nose to nose with this person. And you're breathing in tune. So it's kind of like you're starting to lose your sense of self. And then, you know, I'm getting all the calcium sucked out of my system. And soon I'm having all the convulsions for 20 minutes. You know, I woke up strapped down to the table they ended up giving me intravenous calcium but it took a while to work so i was you know in normal space kind of altered and then all of a sudden i am just in this well i know now it's like the classical void right there's a tremendous amount of space but it's all completely full there's this huge like thundering beating sound going on the whole time it's really really loud just like they say in the bardo and it just looked visually just like kind of a night sky but very kind of attenuated 
And it was so, the only thing I can compare it to that I've ever run across is uh, there's these people that were in that, that huge Joplin, I think it's Missouri or Mississippi. I was an F5 hurricane, tornado went right over them. And all these people were crammed into like a beer case in a garage store. I mean, like a gas station store. And they have the recording in there and the tornado goes right over them. And that's the only thing that is like (laughs) I've ever come across that is like what that experience was like. So I was completely petrified. And then I sensed very strongly it's like the, like a huge it's like it felt like one but also many being and they're just like right there they're making themselves very obvious but they're not pushing it's like we're here if you want we're here but we're not going to force anything on you and i just said yes and then it was just like this all these teachings um robert monroe is a guy who does a lot of out-of-body uh, stuff. Well, he doesn't anymore. Maybe he does now. I don't know. He's dead. The anyway. binaural but, guy? Pardon? The binaural beats guy? Robert Monroe? Monroe exactly. Institute? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I know Robert him. Monroe, yeah. The Monroe Institute. Yeah. So he talks about ROTES, which I've, he has all these acronyms. I forget what they stand for, but it's, stand for, but it's basically like uh, you can throw a, a ball of uh, information, knowledge at someone on an energetic level, and then you can kind of unwind it at your leisure later. And a lot of it came through that way, uh, but a lot of it was the mindfulness. And they gave me the uh, the kind of no mind transmission because my understanding, anyways, it was taught to me in this experience was that not, no mind is it's partly uh, not thinking so much, it's partly not buying into what you're thinking, like saying, okay, it's just like if your foot is tapping, that's not you, right? You can say, okay, it's doing its thing. I don't have to buy into that, that kind of a thing. And it's also like an energetic placement uh, in the subtle body. So, right. and I'm stopping you there. Right? I don't, I, I do not follow that point. <laughs> Which point? The energetic placement thing. I like, I kind of get no mind. Like that's, I mean, I, I think, yeah. I think I know it by a different name, but like I get the idea of no mind, you know, that's not yourself. Who's the one that's thinking it? If you're thinking, what is this thought? You know, that whole deal. But what do you mean it's a placement in the energetic self? That sounds interesting to me. Well, there, if you're a person like me, uh, then you'll realize that, you know, you can think of uh, the various levels of the body. Uh, you know, there's like the uh, the skeleton, there's the fleshy body, there's various hormones and chemicals. There is the electrical field generated by your central nervous system. Um and then there's the subtler bodies, and those subtler bodies have structures as well. So uh, the most basic one is what called the shishumna, which is going to be um, your gateway to no mind. It's a kind of a like a cord or a tube that sits kind of in front of your spine, in the middle of your body, and uh, the no mind placement is within that uh, structure kind of between your navel and your collarbone. So if you imagine a tube of light in front of your spine, uh, aligned with it, and it's kind of between your collarbone and your navel, if you meditate on that and put your attention in there, that is one way of helping to unlock no mind in my experience. Oh, that's crazy. I, I've, I haven't heard this described, but that's a thing that I figured out on my own. I know exactly what that is. 
Really? Yeah, I I did this um, breathing exercise where you're supposed to breathe in the universe through the top of your head and then kind of, mm-hmm. well, not, yeah, essentially my mind was shitted out where it was through <laughs> through the top chakra and then through like the, the perineum kind of area chakra. And that's, you're supposed to just be a tube that's connected to the universe. And I was like, oh, there's like another thing in the middle there, like in front of my spine. I was like, there's like a thing there that I could notice. Oh, that's cool. Look at that. Independent verification of my weirdness. <laughs> Well, that's the thing that to me, you know, a lot of people talk about the, and I don't discount this at all, the importance of finding like reputable teachers and people that you can study with. Because of course, if you're trying to uh, progress in any of these areas or become more adept, it's a much, much easier if you have someone to work with, right? Part of the reason Steve and I got good results in our synchronicity experiment was because there was two of us. But... um at the same time, you know, that's there's obviously risks to working with other people, uh, but also there's a lot to be said for finding stuff out on your own um, and being able to work things through on your own. And as well, I, I feel like, you know, people can figure things out. And there's also, um, uh, well, like the people or beings of my near-death experience who, when I moved up to, to the Tibetan uh, place, you know, um, Rinpoche said they were the Tathagatas, which is a kind of a, like a Bodhisattva deluxe, I guess. Um, and so you can get help on those levels too. So I would say if someone is frustrated because they have to practice on their own or they don't have access to super esoteric texts or fancy teachers, you know, you just gave them a great example of how, you know, just through studying on your own, you can figure these things out. Well, sort of. I mean, I didn't figure fuck all out. I went, oh, there's a thingy there, and then didn't even bother to look it up. I am the worst uh, um, esotericist, uh, occult practitioner ever, because all I do is stumble on things and then never follow them up. Uh, it's I had um, I had this lady, Katie, on the show uh, uh, last year. Before the show, we did this whole uh, uh, Ouija board reading, and we connected to this spirit thing that's been following me around this native american deal that may have followed me from where i grew up and i got a name in my head transmitted and a whole thing i didn't do fuck all with that i literally went oh that's interesting and like (laughs) some people this would be revelatory and for me it's just like oh that's another weird thing that happened near me and just kind of you know merrily went on my fuck all way so maybe i do need a guru anyway sorry and it didn't mean to make this about me. Well, maybe I did. I named the show after me. But <laughs> that's right, you did. Yeah. Of course, it's interesting to hear, uh, you know, about, you know, like what you were just saying about, you know, through meditation and paying attention, you know, noticing these other things. And I would always encourage anyone to give more credence to what you have seen and figured out on your own, even if you don't have some fancy name for it. You know, if you can work yeah. with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot more for me, it's, it's, it, I mean, in this part of conversation is I, I, I don't want to, there's kind of a, a great phrase of all teachers are bunk, you know, like the mm-hmm. teachers are bullshit, you know, but they can also be really useful. So there's this weird, there's this dichotomy I have with me. Like I've always wanted a guru, like mm-hmm. not in a, I don't want to praise any one way. I mean, I don't mind praising a God or like some kind of spirit or something. That's fine. But some dude that just did some shit I didn't do praising them that bothers me and a lot of guru shit you have to do that and then there's that just gets into this weird ego structure where it's like you seem horse shit to me like I I, why should I why should I bow to a dude that's still wearing a fleshy body fuck that like you should be better than that if 
if you know if you still need obeisance, you still need people to genuflect to you, then how the hell are you a guru? So I've got this whole, and then also there's just there are a lot of gurus who are just you know shysters that just you know want some money or blowjobs from young you know fucking uh, in, influential girls, or maybe even not so young. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But you know, I'm I'm saying the good ones. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> the what? <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, it's abs- – and the thing is, you know, a lot of people concentrate, you know, for sensible reasons. They say it's important to have someone who has a lineage. Um, but at the same time, i got to say, you know, just from my own experience, like with Leslie Temple Thurston, there's never been a whiff of anything remotely sca- – I mean, the, the worst she could say about her is she has like a hot young boyfriend. Yeah. You know, and she's like my age or older, right? Oh, gosh. And he seems really nice. And he helps her out with all her spiritual teachings. And he's a great guy. Well, okay. Oh, let, no. <laughs> let me let me stop you there. No, I'm not. Uh, let me ask it this way. How old is that lady? So, oh, well, I'm about 50. I'm, fi- I'm about, I'm 56. Okay. Well, that's the thing. You never ask a lady your age. So I just figured I'd ask who that other person's age was. You know, I do have uh-huh. some, I do have Very some gentility. Slide. Yeah. <laughs> well, because you said no, about, so you could have. I'm happy to be know. older because, you know, I was. I've explained here, you know, it was never a sure thing. So, yeah, I mean, I get like if my life didn't suck so bad, I wouldn't be upset that I'm aging. It's just like I'm <laughs> I'm running out of time and I haven't done anything. So, you know, I I would have no problem with aging if I wasn't miserable. You know, I don't think age yeah. is a bad thing. It's an accumulation of wisdom and interest. But for me, it's an accumulation of Netflix shows. But um, okay, let's spinning back around. So you've got these uh, these people that you're in in a kind of a pseudo bardo the place in between that transitional area near death experience stuff. And they throw a ball of, you know, a, a zip, yeah, it was like, a zip it was file like this, of energy. This, yeah. This kind of huge sound yeah. is, is going on. And, um, it's just like continuous teachings on various levels. I mean, some of it is just like pay attention. Other of it is just like at the same time, these, you know, explicit, kind of thought instructions on what to do other of it is just like a lot of these you know kind of thought balls so it's like really coming in on all levels and at the same time um and this is super common um i was having this sense of you know it was still this kind of attenuated night like a very a, a night sky but very faint and everything was seemed kind of far away and i was like falling but as i would be falling it, it was like starting out like it was like you're seeing like the whole of this universe and then as you're falling you're falling and falling through various structures until you're kind of like in a little quantum and then it bursts out into a whole universe again but it it was like this very strong sense of this but at the same time the visual didn't really change that much um and then i was also just getting this overwhelming sense that it was just pure consciousness everywhere all over just everything just saturated with this consciousness wanting to burst forward into manifestation. And so it was kind of mystical, but, um, a lot of people it's interesting because I've spoken with a lot of people from uh, project archivist listeners and stuff. Cause I got kind of a reputation as the lady who had the near death experience kind of early on in the show. Oh, let me, uh, yeah. just let me jump in right here. Uh, Rosian that I had on the show, that's the podcast he's on just for other listeners. So we can place who we're talking about here. Yes, and Lobo himself had a near-death experience a, a few years ago, not too not too many years ago, which is very interesting. He speaks about it, I think, on one of their shows, either that or on one of the Where Did the Road Go shows. But um, anyway, so a lot of people will say, 
I had this experience. It was nothing like what you hear about near-death experiences. Now, partly it's because, you know, um, like Oprah or whatever. Now, when I had my near-death experience, this is, I'd never even heard of one. Oh, that's what I was going to yeah. ask you. So, one, so you hadn't heard of near-death experience. Were you familiar with the concept of, you know, the universe's consciousness experience itself subjectively sort of thing? Like, was that an idea that was pre uh, your not, experience? Were you aware of that being like a philosophy people have? Not not really. I okay. mean, I heard about like Zen Buddhism, but I had never, it was nothing like anything that I'd read about. I'd heard about shock. I mean, I grew up in the East Bay in like the uh, late 60s through the 70s. All right. So it was so in the air a bit. Yeah. We were in Berkeley. So <laughs> yeah. I heard about chakras all the time. It took me years to realize that some of the stuff that they were telling me about was, oh, that's a chakra. Because actually, I, I didn't until I took some kundalini yoga because it was the direct experience was so different from people talking about it. Yeah, it is weird mm-hmm. when you finally like, I, I, I'm not there yet, but I when I'm on a practice, like when I try chakra meditation, I get to a point where I can kind of, I think I can feel all the major ones at times. And then other times there's like two or three that are sort of there, but it's weird. The first time I actually felt something that was like, Oh shit, wait, that's, that's a thing. Like that's not, this isn't, this is, well, okay. I shouldn't, I was about to say this isn't horseshit, but in true Alex ass <laughs> fashion, I should say it could be horseshit. And I've just talked myself into feeling something, but I, I, I tend to think there actually is part I think there is something legit to the whole subtle body energy system thing. But yeah, you're right that the experience of feeling something versus reading about them or knowing about them is two very, very different, you know, balls of something. It is. And um, anyway, so when it comes to a near-death experience, a lot of people are thinking kind of the Oprah version, which is like, oh, I was uh, sucked in. He saw this beautiful light and I went through a tunnel and Jesus was there and, and my grandma and, and they showed me everything beautiful and I was enveloped in love and light and then I had to go back. and Okay, which is, you know, happens that, that way to a lot of people. But there, if you look at, there's something called the uh, organization called the International Association for Near-Death Studies, I-A-N-D-S. If you look them up online, they have a lot of really good information on near-death experiences, and it's a lot more uh, comprehensive of different types of experiences. So there, and most people that study near-death experiences, their criteria are different. For example, there will often be a psychopomp, which is someone or some being who is leading you through the experience. In my case, it was the Tathagatas. Um, there was a guy, Tom Badhammer, who was on Project Archivist talking about here, his near-death experience. And he, it was uh, kind of a like a orange samurai guy that he had seen other places who was kind of like dancing in front of him. Um, so it's not always just these uh, very uh, typical religious figures or uh, lots of times dead relatives who are taking you through these experiences, but there will be uh, some presence that is leading you through. The People talk about the tunnel, but lots of times, you know, there'll be the sensation of falling or you're moving through. Uh, Lobo had this thing. He was kind of moving through this uh, kind of like a real awful watery plain that was just very sloggy and he's trying to get up to the ship and uh, that he sees above him. Uh, like a kind of, I think like a kind of a pirate ship. It sounded pretty cool, I got to say, except for he said it was extraordinarily tedious. But <laughs> other than that, 
Which is another thing that's interesting. A lot of people have an out-of-body experience where you think of someone who is uh, up at the ceiling, looking down at themselves, which often happens. But in, um, for example, lucid dreaming, you'll have a situation many times where someone is um, trying to, you know, they're lucid and then they're trying to get back in their car, right? Um, And the car is like a proxy of your body. So in this instance, Lobo would be having the, the ship that he's trying to get to be like a proxy for his body. So in that way, it reflects these various uh, other out-of-body experiences. He had a very interesting part, too, in his um, experience where he had this vision. It was like these weird kind of rusty pipes um, all over this place, and they had kind of like a weird goo or something in them, which is strange because Robert Monroe, in one of his books, I think it's his last book, he wrote three books, this is the uh, Monroe Institute by Norrell Beats guy. Um, one of his out-of-body uh, journeys, he saw something very – and described something very similar, all these kind of like weird, creepy pipes um, with weird goo f- flowing through them, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. So, But anyway, so it, a lot of these things, it's a little more structural than opposed to just the various, um, you know, the tunnel with the light – that type of thing. So what? So, what other? What are the other information packets did they did they give you? Other than, I mean, is there anything that you could anything discreet to the point that you describe in you know words that they gave you, or is this just more of a self help? That's a wrong term, but you know, it's more the type of thing where when I need some information on something that is bothering me, I'll I'll get it. For example. It's the only thing I'm thinking of. It's like a whole nother ball of wax. But for example, like the esoteric uh, uh, theory of sex, right? It's like, why is it easier to practice with another person than it is to practice alone? And it doesn't have to be some sexual thing. It is because, and partly this is because I spend a lot of time outdoors. I'm very interested in nature. I'm a bird watcher. Um, But if you look at, for example, the nature of new things happening on planet Earth, let's say you want to get a mountain range like the Sierras. Okay, so first of all, you have to have um, their granitic. So you have to have a huge uh, magma plume that gets smacked down by some other already existing mountains till it starts getting you know, real heavy and bursting back up. And then it gets to the point where it starts to cool and crystallize and make granite. And then it starts lifting up and up and expanding even more. And, you know, of course, all this is taking hundreds of millions of years, right? So eventually you get this mountain range, which is something new, but it just takes forever. Okay, so then you have life. Okay, well, things are happening a little faster. You get a lot of amoebas, but they can only reproduce asexually, right? So if you want anything new as opposed to like the same 3 billion amoebas that you had before, you just have to wait for these random mutations to come up. Okay, so then someone comes up with the idea of sex, which you have two uh, organisms that are very similar, but they have a little bit of difference, come together, and bingo, you have a whole lot of really new stuff really quickly. So if you are a, an esotericist and you want something to happen in the manifest world, be that the world of the physical, uh, the world of the emotions, the world of ideas, then 
the fastest way to have that happen is to work with someone else because you can leverage that. You don't have to actually have sex. You don't have to have any sexual tension, but you can have, for example, you have uh, like Watson and Crick and, oh God, I'm forgetting her name, the lady that took all the pictures that showed them what they needed to see, right? I don't know her name, but I, yeah, uh, that lady. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I, I don't I don't believe we should recognize women in history. It's just a personal belief of mine. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the things I love about you so much, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Why, my, my misogyny? It's <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. It's so endearing. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's, I'm good like that. <laughs> but, yeah, so um, anyway, I don't know if that, if I conveyed that. Correct. No, I get it. You're just you're you're rubbing it in that yet again my lonely life will uh, not allow me to actually get anything done in the esoteric world. Loud and clear, Stephanie. Thanks. No, that's <laughs> no, not it. no. I know. I you're, you're, no, no. It, it that makes sense to me. That I I think that was I think that was as clear as this kind of topic can be. And I that's what I was asking. Like, if there, is there something yeah, we could describe show. in in? Well, I mean, the problem is we're we're dealing with. It, internal structure it's like uh, i to give like a really like um describe what uh you know boredom feels like you know or describe what love feels like or describe what it's fucking it's it's the only reason you can describe is because other people have had that so if you're trying to describe an emotion or or any kind of awareness that you have and somebody else hasn't had yet it's a terrifically difficult thing like if someone's never been bored try describing boredom to them it's you know, if, if, you know, so if someone's never had like a weird enlightening ball of, you know, oddness coming from the other side, trying to describe that in these mucky words is it's, it's, it's the best you can do is metaphor, you know? And it's interesting because, um, what was I going to say? I mean, that's one of the reasons why working with the teacher can be so helpful because they can, you know, if you're trying to, let's say, uh, if, do chakra exercises or something. If you have with someone who has more experience, they can kind of hold that space for you or energetically. It's probably kind of certain uh, electric, electrical magnetic, uh, elect, oh, electro, oh, Jesus. Electromagnetic. Electro- <laughs> and magnetic altogether. That's yeah. called the EM field somehow. Oh, geez. Anyway. Yeah, electromagnetic uh, frequencies. Yeah. Thank you. See, if you're sitting next to someone and they're looking at you and they're holding that type of thing, it can come across a lot better. And then, you know, you can learn about it, not just from trying to think about it and induce that experience in yourself. Yeah. But they can induce that experience in you. No, it's but then, sorry. You know, but of course, that's risky because then, you know, it's an intimate thing and people can get tempted to do things that, you know, Take advantage, let's say. Oh no, totally. That's yeah, that's one hundred percent part. But, uh, that's part of the reason yeah, so that there, I, I mean, personally, I think there's there's real advantages to uh, working on your own as well as with other people. And even if you think you're just working on your own, of course, you're surrounded with other people in your life. So, you know, there's plenty of opportunities to learn about uh, what it's like to have energy besides your own going on, uh, just in day to day experience. Yeah, I'm surrounded yeah. by other people. That's a true <laughs> statement. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, you no, work, right? Well, yeah, but no. Um, 
Yeah, that's uh, yeah. Well, the 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 the, the equation uh, or the equivalent I want to draw was uh, so I've had I've done energy work with people over the years, like them, then I trying to synchronize, and it reminds me of like I can't sing very well if I'm just singing, but if someone sings <laughs> next to me, I can I can do harmonies really well because it's just exactly. like because yeah. their voice is there and it's like oh I can do that just do like they do and it's mm-hmm. it it's this weird kind of same thing that as long as they're not doing like you know. Uh, you know, esoteric backflips. You can usually follow their lead a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that go- that goes to that esoteric, oh gosh, excuse me, esoteric theory of sex where, you know, on that creative level, you know, you create this gap between the two of you and something it comes through, it comes through more easily. Yeah. So. Yeah. But I mean, again, I mean, I can't have regular sex, let alone, you know, kind of esoteric, <laughs> you know, uh, cool sex. So I'm not, uh, that's, that's beyond, that's, that's some guru master shit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how that happens. Um, oh, speak, yo, guru master. Whoa. Look at me doing segues. You find <laughs> your, so you, uh, uh, you find yourself at this Buddhist, uh, center and you find this, um, Lady that forgot her name. South South African lady. What's her name? Oh, uh, Leslie Temple Thurston. That's the one. Yeah, she uh, she was um, not associated with that uh, meditation center at all. Oh, sorry. I uh, just, well, I was just kind of like uh, going kind of balls to the wall. <laughs> Came to all this stuff at that point. All right, so let's let um, let's skip the center for now. What's what what what's this lady's thing? Like, what? How did? Tell me about her. Well, actually. This is the thing about lineage, right? Like I said, I mean, I have, you know, the time that I was studying very intensely with her, um, you know, I would just sit with her. I never had any private sessions or anything like that. Um, And then in the years since, I just, many people have found her uh, CDs and she has like, you know, meditation tapes and stuff like that. Very helpful, friends of mine stuff. And, um, you know, I've never heard anything bad about her. But here's the thing. Her teacher, uh, and she doesn't like to put this around a lot because I can understand why, was a guy named uh, Frederick Lenz or Rama. And uh, he was a guru and kind of cyber uh, guru in, I think, the 70s. And he died, I think, in the 80s in his uh, pool at his mansion I think he drowned. There was a gun, cocaine, and some uh, female uh, followers involved in the whole thing. Yeah, it sounds like the gurus that I tend to find. Yep. (laughs) Yep. So the funny thing was that um, some of the people that uh, sat with her in in our group had uh, been also followers of Rama with her. And this one guy, Mike, was telling me that uh, he, he was a TM teacher as well. But he was telling me that, you know, they were all having a great time running around being Dharma bums or whatever. But Leslie was always just sitting in the back meditating. (laughs) And, um, you know, it goes to the whole thing of it. It's just, you know, it's the disciples view. It's the disciple creates the guru in a certain sense. Right. Yeah, I suppose, but then, but then, what's the point of the guru? It's just this. I'm this is never going to be solved for me. It's just I'm. No, I'm, it, it. Yeah, I mean, I I can't say that. I mean, the only thing that I can really say is that it it is easier. There are benefits to studying with other people who are more adept than you or who are just also interested. 
Um, but it's just the most important thing is to uh, always consider other people and to discipline yourself that you're not taking advantage of other people and the other people aren't taking advantage of you. And it's impor- I also see, would say that it is important to develop um, friendships of uh, people and entities that aren't involved in any group that you're in. For example, when I went up to live at that Tibetan, uh, Tibetan center, and it wasn't a super active center or anything at the time, but, you know, I, always, I kept in touch with all my friends and family. Um, I have a good friend, Sean, who's an artist up in Idaho, but he, he was living down here then. And he was really funny because he'd always say, yeah, I wouldn't say it's like a cult so much as more like a compound. And this is like right after Waco. Oh, boy. <laughs> so he was always cracking me up and stuff. Um, but never cut yourself off. Always have like an escape plan. I mean, it sounds paranoid, but there's there are risks. And any reasonable teacher is going to want you to be independent. So, yeah, I, I, um, I, 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 what you're saying sounds true. I just, I, I, I just, I guess I've never met a good teacher. <laughs> it's, there, there's a lot of skeeviness out there. Yeah. It's uh, pretty much all the ones I've run into are like that. And, you know, anytime I try to teach, you know, yeah, anyway, it's just, this is the annoyance of being like a, um, a kind of uh, third rate teacher, you know, like on this show, like I've had a lot of people write in like, Hey, you really helped me when you described this thing, or I've walked people through some things and yeah. it's like, Oh cool. I'm like a really shitty guru in my way, but it's still like, but it's, I never got a real you guru. People, then you're a good, you're a good teacher. Yeah. But fuck that. I want a real guru. I want somebody doing some fucking miracles in front of me. I, Cause I still, <laughs> I have way too much doubt to actually be like any kind of like good spiritual teacher. I want miracles in front of me, but you know, those aren't provided apparently. <laughs> you know, it cracked me up because when I was at that Tibetan place, okay. So there's a lot of uh, written texts about various schools of Buddhism, including Tibetan Buddhism. Every single freaking one of them says, okay, you're going to see someone, you're going to think, wow, they're so amazing. I want them to be my guru and get all excited. And that is the last thing you want to do. What you want to do is you want to, like I said, not cut off ties with anything, not throw yourself in with them. You want to watch them like a hawk for essentially years and see how they treat the people around them. Then if you watch them for a decade or so and they seem to be on the up and up from everything that you can find out when you've been you know, trying to dig up dirt on them, then maybe throw in. But of course, you know, it's a lot more romantic and sexy and exciting to just go whole hog with someone you know nothing nothing about. So, I mean, people are going to do it, but, you know. Yeah, I, what I want from the universe, and I'm saying this right now, universe, if you're listening, is like back in the 60s where everybody went up to Tibet and talked to what's-his-face, Maharishi. And Maharishi, <laughs> like, fucking was like... Like, I think it's, I think it was in Ram Dass's book one, or one of those assholes that went up there, but they're like, mm-hmm. I walked in and he's like, Hey, how's your mom doing? Cause his mom was sick. And he's like, how the fuck did you know that? And he's basically doing miracles in front of people. Like it's, you know, like it's eating cereal. That's what I want. I want, I want that shit, but that apparently doesn't exist anymore. It's like, it's like, all the, ex- well, where it's like the stupid old holy books. It'd be really easy to believe in God. If the guy showed up and like, you know, turned somebody into salt in front of me. Cool. I got myself something to worship. But nowadays, it's just a bunch of assholes drawing sigils on their arms. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. If, one of the other things that they say in all these Buddhist tests, texts, which I think is sensible, 
is that, you know, people that are throwing that stuff around to glamour you right off the bat do not have your best interests at heart. Yeah, but I, I still, if they can to get one over on you, no. But if they show psychic abilities, I could go, oh, cool, psychic abilities exist, and then I don't have to have a lot of like most of my doubt could go away at that point. <laughs> Do you realize how much existential dread would be removed from me if I could have one bit of actual like actual something in front of me that isn't flimflamery and walking up a mountain in the middle of fucking Tibet where there's no access to the outside world? Dude looks at you and goes, "Hey, your mom's sick" or some kind of thing that he can't possibly know. Done. Cool. I, I... <laughs> Alex, you know what? I did a lot of show prep, and actually, part of it here is applicable to your current. Uh, predicament hey steph yes i'm good at segues boom <laughs> so here's the deal <laughs> sorry i love awkward segues it's like my favorite thing <laughs> if you keep a dream journal chances are that you will and you do it assiduously chances are that you will come up with some type of precognitive dream stuff at some point so you don't have to get involved in a skeevy uh, situation with some, you know, sketched out guru to see miracles. Well, I mean, I've had things like that before. So this is my only. So we're saying we're going to so talk why about. Why is there a doubt? Well, for this. Okay, so if you have X number of dreams a night, every night of your life, so that's three hundred and sixty-five times mm -hmm. whatever number of years you're on mathematically something's gonna come up like it's mm -hmm. statistically likely so unless it's something really weird like it's it wouldn't be precognition it would be weirder if something didn't come up because there's not like we're, we're in a limited well, so unless you had a unless uh, you had a very specific dream like let's say the lottery numbers or maybe that's probably too specific, but like, um, actually I had a very specific dream one time and this is a type of thing where, you know, I would say seriously, if you are keep a dream journal, cause things come up and the more you pay attention to your dreams, the more likely something will come up in my experience. But I did have one, uh, very strange dream. This happened, I don't know, maybe about five or six. Oh, I actually wrote the date down here. I think, no, oh, maybe I didn't. Anyway. So I had this strange dream one night. Now, this is a couple years before Steve and I started this that synchronicity experiment on Radio Mysterioso. Mm -hmm. So I'm dreaming. And my mom and I are at this place, and I'm thinking, this has got to be like the astral location of Burning Man. I've never been to Burning Man. I have no desire to go. So we're wandering around, and it's not super busy, but there's, you know, stuff around, and, you know, places are open and people are around. So we end up going into this restaurant. And in this restaurant, they have food, but they also have this thing where they are selling these kind of like art piece slash pets that are uh, made out of bits of like old dead animals. But the thing is, it's called these chimeras, right? But the thing is that these pets actually, they seem pretty happy and pretty healthy. Like you could put them on your shoulder, a little, you know, half cat, half iguana or whatever the hell. So it was kind of creepy, but they're kind of looking at these things like, well, they seem to be doing pretty good. So it was a really weird dream. And I, I woke up, I thought, God, that's weird for the content. And then also because it seemed like I was actually, you know, it wasn't just kind of like a normal kind of detritus of the day or whatever dream. So 
that day, uh, my husband and Anthony and I were in Berkeley and we're walking down College Avenue towards Alcatraz where there's this uh, organic ice cream store named Tara's. They have really good ice cream. A lot is like uh, Indian flavors, like masala, strawberries. They have one called Sweet Cream. It doesn't even have vanilla. I love it. It's so bland. But anyway, so we go to this ice cream store and the guy's giving a sample. He's like this kind of tall young guy behind the counter and we're talking to him. And I don't even remember how it came up, but, uh, oh, so before this, I was telling Tony about this dream, like about a half block before we got to this place, because it was so weird, and I was still thinking about it. So we, we're talking to this guy behind the counter, and he's like, says something, I forget how it came up, but he's like, oh, guy, it's like I have this friend, and she makes art out of, like, parts of old dead animals and puts them together and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what? You know, I was just telling my husband about this dream. So he gives me the gallery card of this um, lady show that's coming up. And sure enough, she has this, you know, parts of different dead animals she's put together for this weird chimera thing on the front of this card. And it has the name of the gallery and the dates there. Okay, so that was weird, right? that's the type of thing that might happen to you. And it's hard to put that down to just, well, coincidence or whatever, especially because when Steve and I started doing that synchronicity experiment, one night he starts telling me about this vivid dream that he had or not. It's the next morning he's telling me. And I said, you know, this reminds me of this dream that I had that same chimera dream. And, um, because of some of the content, but also because it kind of seems to me like it was a, you went to an astral location as opposed to just normal stuff. So then I had to try and explain to him what the astral plane was because he didn't know. So I, I said, I still have this gallery card in my sock drawer, so I'll send you a picture. And he came back and said that two of the names on there, on the gallery card, were the same exact names of people who had been incredibly influential in his life. He was really kind of shocked that this happened. Um, so it had this kind of like knock on synchronicity. And then I, when I was, uh, writing that experience up recently, I believe, you know, because we, we had to reschedule, I was able to give Jack a bath. He just came in here. He looks so nice and clean. But anyway, would um, you probably tell the audience that Jack is your dog, not your husband? <laughs> yeah, he's my mom's dog. He's okay. a Karen Terrier, right. like a Toto in the Wizard of Oz. But, um, anyway, so uh, I was researching this and I looked at the card and it turned out that the uh, location where this lady's show was at that time was just a couple blocks from where I used to live with my friend Sean, who's also an artist. Um, so it was kind of like all these weird type of uh, threads coming together. All right, so, let's let's uh, live on live on air. Let's see if I get, get us. So that card, which I have not seen. Right. Uh-huh. And you haven't told me the name of anything on that. Right. Right. Okay. Amy Gleason and Dan Kirkpatrick. I don't think so. Damn. All right. That would have been fucking weird if I guessed though, right? That would have been proof. So I think I just disproved all I just disproved all the paranormal. Um (laughs) No, so I follow a bunch of accounts on, on Instagram with mm-hmm. they build chimera uh mummy stuff so mm-hmm. any given day that dream would have produced a result for me no not to, not to discount your your synchronicity but what i mean to say is it's hard for me to use those as proof so like the one prophetic and not prophetic but the one transmission dream i've had and i've talked about it on the show before is where i was 
it's not a dream. It was it was meditation. I was doing drawing meditation, and I wrote mm-hmm. down Merkaba, and I was uh-huh. drawing this weird Egyptian scene. I had no idea. I'd never heard of a Merkaba before, like the the mm-hmm. sacred geometry thing, the vessel yeah. of truth, and blah 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 blah. Uh, I'd never heard of that before. I wasn't even into sacred geometry. This was years upon years ago. I mm-hmm. had that drawing in a book, uh, in my drawing book. Three years later or whatever, I get into, you know, weird stuff like that. And I find out about sacred geometry. I start looking into it. And I find the, I find out about the Merkabah. I went, oh, that's fucking weird. That sounds like that thing I went, I wrote down. I went and looked at my notebook and I had Merkabah written down. Weird, so Alex, right? it's, it's, if you won't listen when the universe tells you explicitly something like that, then, you know, that's not on the universe. No, but what I'm saying is I followed that path. And it went uh-huh. fucking nowhere. So the the thought is, are we, are we, because I'm not saying that the universe isn't, you know, in that Buddhist thing where like the, the, the monkey brain where the monkey is just chattering constantly and it means absolutely oh, yeah. nothing. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm more thinking that dreams and prophetic vision is more like monkey chatter. And sometimes it hits like that thing of. If a million, if an infinite number of monkeys are in an infinite number of typewriters, they will eventually mm-hmm. produce the works of Shakespeare. Is what we're connecting to just monkey chatter? And then every now and again, that monkey chatter lines up with our experience. And it, I, does it mean anything? I suppose the thing is, because it, I guess really this is the question of everything. Does anything mean anything? Sorry, I'm going to go kill myself now. Um, <laughs> So this I is too wonder. this is too big of a topic. It's just it's this thing of well, there's just a bit of well, so what to it, where it, mm-hmm. even if it isn't ascribed to the math of how many dreams you have versus your waking reality, mm-hmm. is it the just the math of monkey chatter of well, eventually is it the works of Shakespeare? Or in this case, the works of three random consonants you know, or three you know sound things thrown out at random. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, well, it's funny because it sounds like a conversation I have with my husband all the time. It doesn't mean anything. I, all I can tell you is that, um, let's see, a lot of these things that happen, if you start to pay attention to them and start to make your peace with them, it, 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 that process involves uh, a connection between the left and the right brain I know that theory has been kind of disproven, but it's kind of like the the conscious and the subconscious, um, the uh, what the the light and the shadow. You start to become more integrated in those halves of yourself because these experiences come through that shadow part, through the subconscious, through the right uh, preverbal um, image uh, brain, right? So for someone in your situation who is trying to be a writer, not trying to be, you are a writer, and you're a very good writer, um, I, I've done drawing, I like to do photography, I do some writing, I sew most of my clothes. Um, on a practical level, if you can keep that connection open, as opposed to constantly getting trapped in the monkey mind, um, you're, it definitely makes your creative life a lot more um, effortless and easy to access that part of yourself. And you're not constantly trying to censor yourself 
and um, trip yourself up. Yeah. Well, so that to me, that's that's a lot of the value of these type of experiences. Um, well, and I'm cultivating them is that I find it it's a, a it clears the way to the subconscious and that helps uh, creativity to flow better. Now, again, much playing the skeptic here, because I will point out that I once had a dream about a tree that eats balloons. And for a while, I kept finding random orange dinosaurs on the street. Now, I think a lot of people that are listening to the show will understand those references. But I assure you, yes, I do pay attention to synchronicities and weirdnesses. And they do. They have paid off in the end, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's always a tension. There's always a thing. I mean, at this point, just the age that I am and the, the path that I'm taking is just, I'm, I don't have that hyper uh, skepticism anymore. Um, and, you know, I'm not so self-conscious about talking about my experiences in folks. A lot of people, they'll, they'll kind of get, they, they'll swallow it part way and then you start getting into what actually happened. They're just like, nope, 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 nope. Which is, of course, their prerogative because why should you believe something that you haven't experienced yourself, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Let's 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 cover this stuff here because we're, okay. we're 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 circling we're circling the idea of precognition of of prophecy of of seeing the future. Yeah, premonitions. Um, give me give me your treatise statement here, Stephanie. <laughs> So you think I did more show, better show prep than I actually did? Well, no, I mean, it's more like, so, okay. So, I mean, I guess I can kind of batting the idea around is at least from what I think your, your show prep went with, or at least this is what I took away. And, and it is something mm -hmm. I think about quite a lot is whether mm -hmm. premonition exists on a, for me, this is the options. And by this is the options. I mean, these are the options because I know how to speak the language yeah. uh, is um, there's either a facility in the human something, astral, mental, physical something, that literally can see what is referred to commonly as the future. There being, if there is a past, there's a present. We can see the future in some kind of spiritual way. Two, mm -hmm. uh, there is a basically a, a, a bias that you think you did something that you didn't in that again mm -hmm. you write down enough dreams eventually one's going to be true if, you know mm -hmm. if 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 you guess like you are guaranteed to predict the future in a deck of cards at least once if you just keep guessing the same card you know so oh, it's, yeah. it's yeah, so yeah. that or and this is something that physics is picking up on now is is this weird kind of reverse causality thing where echoes from the yeah. future could possibly affect the now so what we believe it or at least what we see as some kind of future predictive power is actually the future affecting us in a way. So it's, um, yeah. you know, uh, on 9-10-2001, you feel a shiver. That wasn't you predicting 9-11. That was 9-11 affecting you. It just affected you before it happened. And that's the one that between that and actual just because weirdly enough, as, as skeptical as I am, I do kind of mm -hmm. believe in seeing the future as like a purely like X-Men kind of power way. Like <laughs> I just I don't know somewhere somewhere within me. I feel like that's an actual thing. But um, I, I tend to lean towards more towards the 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 future ascending echoes back. That feels like a I mean, I have nothing to back this up, but like that to me, that feels like something that like my observations of the world, that one seems to fit into it well that like the future is sending stuff back and affecting the past. That seems to make some kind of sense. Well, interestingly, um, 
So there's a guy out on, out on the net these days who is uh, looking into this uh, retro causality uh, pretty heavily, and he just pushed, published a book called Time Loops on it. His name is Eric Wargo. I sent you his information, and he actually had a precognitive dream uh, about dinosaurs involving toy dinosaurs, and the title of his blog post about this was Look Back in Amber, which is an orange color, so I was just tickled to see that. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, oh, someone should write to him and tell him about Periphery. I know I should. I, I will. Yeah, please but do. Anyway, to, so, tell, tell please read this entire 300-page book for, for one very, very tiny uh, subplot, <laughs> if it could even be called that. <laughs> but anyway, so he uh, – actually, he's been kind of doing the rounds. He was just on Jim Harold's paranormal podcast talking about this whole idea of retrocausality, which I guess there's been some uh, experiments in quantum physics that have shown this. There are some psychological experiments that point towards this as well. I guess there was some psychologist who would do something where he would, um, what was it, test people on like vocabulary words, see how they did, and then afterwards some would get a practice session on those words and then some wouldn't. The people that had a practice practice session afterwards did better on the test. Ooh, so, yeah. So, oh, oh, yeah. how so interesting. Like a, yeah, like a macro uh, effect of this retro causality. Yeah, oh, that's so the, that's weary. I, I have to I have to process this. Okay, so you get it. I'm trying to see if I can find a flaw in the in the argument in the experiment. So you get a vocabulary test. Ten, let's just say, ten random vocabulary words. One is. Uh, 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 Hyper dystropophia, some fancy ass medical word that I can't come up with. Yeah. Uh, uh, non ultra microscopic silicofaganaconiosis, my favorite word, but that's a famous <laughs> that word. A so, good word for that. yeah, my, 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 that's a famous word, but let's pretend that person doesn't know that word. After the test, so they take this test, they get the results to mm -hmm. random groups. One of the random groups gets a study sheet that says, uh, Nemonotromicroscopic silicovacanaconiosis is a lung, lung disease caused by breathing and in. And you spell it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's that's that, blah, blah, blah. The group that got the study prep after the test was shown to have better test scores. Yep. Than the other group. Yeah. Yeah, there's no real way around that. If there's, if there's enough of a sample size, which that's my thought right now, is that there's not enough of a sample size. I don't know what the sample size is, obviously, but I yeah. feel like that's something that could be... Unless you've got like thousands upon thousands of people, I could see how there could be like a a random bias shown. Because well, you yeah, also need the whole regression to the mean, right? So yeah, because yeah, because you also need to have people with the exact same educational level, the same. Oh yeah, you I know, mean, groups yeah. of people, and then groups of people with other educational levels. But mm -hmm. if that works out, like if that works out with a large enough sample size, yeah, that's that's really that's really interesting. That would be not proof, but man, that would be that would show something. Yeah, and um, on the, uh, I guess like there's a guy, Dean Radin, I forgot the name of the psychologist guy, but it, there's a lot of people doing uh, uh, random number, uh, true random number uh, machine tests where oh. you have people try and influence random number generators. I was going to bring this up. So there is, this is a, this is a thing that I've been interested in for fucking absolute years from, mm -hmm. it's out of uh, Princeton in New Jersey. It's a global consciousness project. Have you read about this? Yeah. So yeah. essentially for the audience, it, it's, there's, there's a shitload of random number generators operating all over the planet at any given moment. 
what they do is check to see if those so you can see basically the I forget what the term is, but how much random those numbers are. And there's a proper term for it. Yeah. And then during major events to see if those that how much random if there's any significant skew in that number. So let's say random equals X and X is normal. During 9-11, X would equal three. Well, random chance X should be negative one or one. Yeah, you have and, a statistically significant deviation from random. Yeah, yeah. And they're showing these during certain large events. Like 9-11 was when I thought the um, that that uh, the Indonesian... Uh, uh, oh, yeah. tsunami there was another one that showed yeah. up there's a bunch of like there seem to be like significant significance to this so is that i don't know i don't even know if that's related but it seems to be that there is a facility that random number generators are affected by either c- consciousness happening like major things happening and focusing on them or mm-hmm is you know or the earth is conscious and affecting it or there's there is something there though i really feel like i just took us on a weird side road sorry (laughs) (laughs) it's just something i really like and i just yeah uh, they also have experiments where you have and you were talking about needing large numbers there's large numbers of these and basically they'll do a run of of a random number generator of however many hits and um, you'll have people trying to influence them psychically to go off random, basically. And so you have people doing hundreds of these individually, and then you have, you know, tons of different people doing it. And you will find that people are able to uh, get these things off random. And also they're able to influence um, uh, runs in the future. So... Well, how do they, how do they influence runs in the future? I mean, that's that's they that's say, inter- okay. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna be doing a run at X time in the future, and then the person tries to influence it before then. Hmm. And then they do the run. Well, it'd be interesting, and I'm sure they've done this. Going back to the spelling uh, or vocab experiment, is whether that would work that way. So you, you so you take collected ordered data of randomness, unstudied, and then tell someone. Can you please affect the data a day ago, uh-huh. and then tell somebody, tell another group, don't affect this, that data a day ago, and see if there is a larger than normal yeah. change in the data. Mm-hmm. The, the same way of that spelling thing. That'd be interesting. Yeah. They probably did yeah, that too. I want to yeah. emphasize that when you're running a random number generator, it is actually random, and what they do is they have a little piece of. Uh, radioactive material in, the, in a true random number generator. They have a little a piece of radioactive material in there, and as that releases or doesn't release um, the radioactivity, or I forget the name, whatever they're yeah, releasing. Isotope, yeah. Thank you. That determines whether or not um, a number is generated. It's going to be one or zero in a true ra- uh, random number generator. Yeah. So these things, past a certain point, they are always going to be statistically neutral. It's like flipping a coin past certain number. Actually, it's better than flipping a coin. So that's one of the reasons why they like using these uh, machines is because it's very easy to find uh, deviation from the, from random. Yeah. yeah. So the, I mean, I guess it comes down to, so, so is, is there a predictive quality happening or is it just a influence effect? Yeah. Or is there just an influence that can, or is there just like, yeah, just some kind of consciousness effect that, that can, that, or, 
I mean, I guess I guess the idea is that we're the idea of the present. I think is kind of um, I think math and science wise is known to be bullshit. There is no you know time is completely yeah, we do not illusory. Have time figured out. Yeah, and it's and it doesn't work. It, it's not a well. There used to be a this, and now there's a this. It's just there's always this, and we kind mm-hmm. of you know force this yeah, idea it, of like this entropic times arrow thing where mm-hmm. that might not actually be true. So it'd be, in, are we seeing the future or are we just influencing something that we believe to be the not now? Are we just influencing a different present, you know? Yeah. I mean, the theory of it gets, I haven't found any theories that really I find compelling. Um, although like you say, with the retro causality, I think that there's, you know, uh, J.W. Dunn, who he was a, uh, writer in the beginning of the 20th century and he wrote a very influential book called an experiment with time he became interested in his precognitive dreams there was one in particular he um he had a dream where he was on a french island uh, martinique and uh he saw that there was about to be a huge volcanic eruption he was running around he had been in the military he was running around trying to alert all these authorities to get people off the island and of course no one was listening to him and it was horrible and he had the very strong impression that 4000 people died in this explosion so uh, uh, some amount of time later he wrote down the dream um he found out that mount pele this was in 1902 uh, exploded this volcano. It killed 40,000 people, um, according to this newspaper that he read right after the event, which was the first that he found out about it. Now, I believe that it ended up that the actual number of people that died was something kind of different. So he thinks that um, what he was dreaming about was him finding out about it because of the similarity of the 4,000 to the 40,000. Yeah. And um, so he got on this idea that that you what you are what you are connecting with is your experience of realizing that you've had a precognitive event, which is then generating this energy that flows backward and gives you the precognitive dream or vision or whatever. Yeah. Well, there's there's this is a very joking way to put it, but I heard this and I thought it was absolutely wonderful was that mm-hmm. what the Mayans were actually doing was misunderstanding a trailer for the movie 2012. Oh, God. So they saw a trailer <laughs> in their consciousness of, oh, my God, like the world's exploding, John Cusack's running away from the earth opening up, and they went, oh, shit, we have to write. I mean, I, there was no 2012 prediction. That's all horseshit. But just in a joking way, that's what's happening is so like people that foresee their own death and, you know, or whatever, mm-hmm. what they're actually foreseeing is like the newspaper from that day or, or a Google announcement. So the idea is, you know, what you're, you're not actually seeing the future. You're seeing the way that you see the future or so, or, mm-hmm. or the way that, so it's not like a, it's not like you get God view. It's just, so some random Mayan view, went, yeah. yeah, went, oh wow, this 2012, holy shit, there's things exploding. They don't know who John Cusack is. They don't know what a trailer is. So they, they go back and write these, these apocalyptic things and, you know, oh fuck. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Oh God, I just thought of something and then it went completely out of my head. But, uh, yeah, uh, Eric Wargo talks a lot about these, uh, the idea that um, that moment, because I guess he's been keeping, he's not just been looking at this theoretically and uh, stuff, but he's been keeping a dream journal for a number of years. And so he's noticed that oftentimes we'll have like this 
uh, upwelling of like a burst of emotion, intellectual excitement when he recognizes, oh, gosh, this is the moment that I saw in that dream. And he sees that as uh, providing a burst of energy that goes back and and influences the moment. The other thing is that, um, you know, you're talking about uh, really misreading things, I think partly because this information does come through our subconscious, the the uh, part of your brain that deals in imagery and emotion, and also because it's the part of your brain that is not bought into linear time. Um, also, you're not getting the God view, you're just getting whatever your own experience is. It's really hard to turn a lot of this precognitive stuff into actionable intelligence, right? Yeah. So this, this guy, uh, he was studying uh, J.A. Barker, and he studied precognitive experiences uh, relating to disasters. Um, he was in Britain when in, uh, what was it, the 1966, there was a really horrible uh, disaster. A bunch of coal waste broke loose and slid down onto a school that was in session. It killed 144 people, and most of them were children. Um, so afterwards, all these people were talking about all these precognitive experiences. Some people just had a feeling of dread. Uh, you know, people would have dreams of coughing or blackness overtaking them, choking. So he got very interested in this, and he actually set up a foundation to see, to like a registry for um, for premonitions to see if there was a because obviously a lot of people had. Uh, foreknowledge of this if there was a way that they could use this to try and prevent these disasters um and they ended up uh, i think it went for like 20 or 25 uh, years um he had the british premonition bureau which sounds like something out of monty python but it was a real deal and they did end up getting a notification of uh, like some airline disasters and stuff but this is the problem is that it just it's coming from the individual person's perspective. And, you know, if you think about, you know, you're in your house, suddenly earthquake hits, you know, you don't, you're not thinking about what time it is or the day or, yeah, the, you know, so these information that came through wasn't really enough to be able to do anything. And I think the biggest problem was time. So anyway, but there was this other uh, group that I found out about that was they, they called the precognitive stock market dreamers, which is this. Oh guy. yeah, which what what a great name for like I wish that was I wish that was I wish I wrote a wacky book and that was the name of a group in it. <laughs> I think I'm giving my mom a headache here. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so there was these uh, guy called Walt Stover. So. Uh, he went to a lecture on dreams in like 1973 and got interested in dreams. And then he started paying more attention to his dreams and he started to have some precognitive dreams. He was kind of going along. Um, in the early 80s, he would have these spontaneous dreams that seemed to be uh, making predictions about stock market. Um, and so he decided to form the stock market dreamers group in 1998. Now, one of the things that this points out to me is if you're interested in any of this stuff, you should pray for long life because to get good at any of this stuff, you really have to be like pursuing it for a long time. But um, so uh, they had, I don't know, it was like 20 or 30 people in this group and they came from all different walks of life. 
Um, a number of them did uh, apparently make money on various stock market buys, um, but all of them had like a long time period where they had to, um, you know, record their own dreams and observe them, observe the stock market and figure out how their particular dreaming style kind of mapped on to movements in the market kind of their own symbolism and stuff. And it was different for the, for the various people. So anyway, I mean, did they make money off of it? Some of them claim to have made, you know, like maybe a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand oh, $200,000. That's interesting. There's, there's yeah. also this other, I mean, I don't know theory is the wrong word, but there's this interesting thing that happens with precognition and like basically everything in, in the 14 world of like this. I mean, your, your term actionable intelligence is a great way to put it, but like, um, like, uh, a great example, you know, Skinwalker Ranch. I'm sure you've heard about that. Oh, yeah. So, like, there's weird shit happening there all the time. They see Skinwalkers, there's Bigfoot, there's UFOs, there's there's portals. Pol- poltergeists. Yeah, there's portals to other fucking dimensions. There's, everything's there. The second you bring a camera, that shit just shuts the fuck down. Or you can only hear it. Yep. People see Bigfoot constantly. Can't get a goddamn picture of it. Like the, yep. the the more cell phones there are around, the less UFO sightings there are. Like there is this weird thing of like the I mean, it may just be we're overthinking it and all this stuff is just we're imagining it, but there does seem to be like this weird like proof bias thing where it, mm-hmm. it's shit kind of shuts down the second proof or like actionable intelligence to use that term can be gathered from it it's it's it it's so strange that it makes me think there must be something strange here like it isn't like oh we're just flawed people with flawed ways of viewing the universe and that's why you can't take a picture mm-hmm. of it because it's all in our head like it seems to be like there is like a consciousness behind it going like whoop nope just gonna jump behind this tree the second you hit that button you know yeah no i mean it's true i mean part of the thing is that um i don't want to say this for example the idea that oh you know, now we have cell phones all over the place, but no one ever sees a flying saucer. Part of the thing is a lot of that is light in the sky. Have you ever tried to take a picture of the full moon, you know, low by the uh, horizon with your cell phone? It looks like a glorified smudge. Yeah. It's because, you know, yeah. cell phones are not astronomical, uh, you know, telescopes made to photograph the night sky. Yeah, no, so totally. That's, yeah, yeah. So that's part of the thing. People, it, It's like more of a bias than, I mean, it seems worse than it actually is. Well, I mean, but though. Part of it, I think that there is a, a consciousness behind some of this stuff that just wants to negate it. Yeah, I mean, UFOs are, that's, that's, your example is correct, but like, there's no argument against Bigfoot. I mean, oh, it's yeah. like, people you, used to you see Bigfoot. my theory of Bigfoot. No, what's that? It's actually a poltergeist that it is out in the woods because if oh, you right. look at all the things, you know, poltergeist, you get hairy monsters like, like Jeff, the talking mongoose. Yeah. <laughs> you get, um, oh, there's one in, uh, Colin Wilson's book, poltergeist. If anyone's interested in poltergeist, I love that book. It's fantastic. Um, but there's one case in there. I'm forgetting the name right now. But there uh, is uh, large footprints that go across the lounge. It's in Britain. Uh, you get, you know, feces smeared around, bad smells, uh, rocks being thrown around. You get echolalia. You get with poltergeists, um, you know, the Bigfoot, they'll put the people say there's like little stick things that they make. Yeah. You know, you get yeah. things with poltergeists in the house where there'll be uh 
uh, what's the fa- thing they like to do is a pin writing, uh, where you use a, a pin and make letters and a piece of paper with the holes. Yeah. And there was one uh, in like the 18, early 1800s in um, uh, North America. It was really weird. And what it would do is when uh, people were out of a room, it would make these mock-ups of people like praying or something using like the cushions and the bedding and the clothing in the house. Oh, that's cool. I know. I, th- I love that case. But yeah, so it's all these similarities anyway. So I think the Bigfoot is basically a poltergeist of the woods. Yeah, I'm, my my thought on that is is uh, just it's it's some kind of egregore tulpa kind of thing where there oh, yeah. you know people just see some weird shit in the woods. There are a couple Native American legends, and then it just kind of grows into this whole like thing. Or and this is gonna, it sounds like I'm joking, but I'm not. It's 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 ghosts of old human like you know Australopithecus or some or or like just some kind of gigantic sloth or something that used to live there, and we're seeing these. <laughs> remnant echoes of them you know it's a ghost sloth yeah it could be i mean there's this giant sloth i forget the name of it but it, it looks exactly like bigfoot like if you look at it but i mean it's from way before humans or maybe maybe humans had just shown up when it was around um yeah. well, it's like those ter- pteranodons or whatever those flying dinosaurs people see them from time to time too so yeah uh all right so we're we're kind of long here but let me um closing up i want to ask you this because yes. this popped in my head, and this uh, this is totally like a um, I need I need a lady's advice on this, but from an esoteric <laughs> point of view. So years ago, and this goes back to me doing um, automatic writing or automatic drawing. Mm-hmm. I was meditating, and I saw this, for lack of a better word, the way the existence was made, the the. Uh, occult big bang it was i i can't describe it in words but like i drew it on my arm because that's all i had available i had a pen and my uh-huh. arm so i drew it on my arm and i made a note of like what it meant like of like hey this is a thing going through a thing and this is like you know these kind of veils that you pass through and anyway just it was a thing i thought it was cool i took a couple pictures of it and you know that, that was the end of it i was at the bar a couple weeks ago and this girl had a tattoo on her arm that looked remarkably like the thing i drew on my arm uh, like mm-hmm. three, four years ago. Okay. What you want to do, go up and act like a normal person uh, who's interested in her as a human being. Don't bring that up right away. No, but that's the only thing I cared about. Like, what, I don't, I, what, what do you, I don't want to approach some random lady at a bar. I mean, that sounds weird, but I don't like it. I just, I'm Alex, just interested in her arm. How do I, how do I talk about just Alex, that arm? That's what you, this is the price you have to pay. Oh, fuck. I don't want to act like a person. <laughs> You can do it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I made the right coach choice in not doing anything about it. Alex, Alex, Alex. But I just want to know about the tattoo. You, you're, know, you're not wearing a sleeve. Know, I mean, Alex, <laughs> here's, you wanted a lady's perspective, right? Yeah. You know how many times... Now, I'm older now, so thankfully it doesn't happen to the extent it did. But do you know how many times when I was like in my 20s... I get someone just coming up and they would start talking about how they wanted to turn me out or, you know, I am doing this art project where, Oh, you could be naked or, Hey, I think you'd be a wonderful lingerie model. Well, I, yeah, but to be fair, I'd be, I'd be creepy in a different way. I'd be creepy in a, Hey, I had a, I had a meditative vision of a tattoo (laughs) of something that looks like you're a tattoo. Can you explain to me what that is? Uh That's come on. That's totally normal to say to another person, right? Yeah, I mean, if you're interested, I would just 
you know, I mean, even if you're normal for like 10 minutes. Yeah, I mean, it, she was with people. And I mean, frankly, that's the reason I didn't do it. You is could be normal. You could be normal. You could be normal around the people she's with. That would make an even better impression. Uh, well, no, it's it's not that. It's that it was it was an attractive lady and she was young. And I, I just I'm sure she gets so fucking much uh, attention from dudes that I just I my curiosity. Thing, Alex. Okay. For the listener. Yeah. I'm old now. But when I was younger, nice body, nice skin, big blue eyes, smile, a lot of blonde hair, right? Big tits from what I hear? <laughs> from what you hear, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, you're, that's, that's anyway, what the Google results for your sewing blog tell me. Uh, nice. Anyway, I... I've just described to you the type of attention I got, like a normal person coming up and pretending at least they could at least act for like, say, an hour or two, like, you know, they cared what I was as a person, were interested in my ideas, maybe the books I read, what I thought about, hobbies. You know, you could, if you do, if you could pull that off for like, a, you know, a couple of like three hour dates and like Flynn. Well, I'm not trying to get in like Flynn. I just want to know about her tattoo. <laughs> that's that's it. I'm doing, but Alex, this, I mean, you're always complaining about, you know, you would like to have a lady friend and stuff. I, I mean, just look at his practice for not being, you know, a creep and having better success with ladies. Yeah, no, but that's, I, I'm not even worried about that right now. I literally just want to know her about a tattoo. <laughs> but, but I'm I mean, telling you, this is your best approach. This yeah, best I just, approach. I kind of wish she was like, I, I, you know, I wish she was, you know, older or, or somebody that looks like she didn't get hit <laughs> on constantly. I'm insane. She's rolling my eyes at you over <laughs> here. Alex. <laughs> well, sorry. I just, you know. She apologizes. Now she's laughing. What? I'm a, I'm a fucking, I, I'm a young, no, I'm young, but a creepy fat guy. Like, there's a ton of, I'm sure she gets a lot of that. I, I don't need to, uh, hey, what's up, lady? What does your tattoo mean? That's just, oh, gross. Just try, you know, just be charming. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, only, know, I only know how to do that into microphones. Podcast. Yeah. Just start being charming just in real life. You know, you used to do it on, you know, there's like old, lonely people out there. <laughs> My mom says his voice and inflection sound like David Sedaris. It's a big compliment. It's a big compliment. Oh, good. Oh, good. Big yeah. Fan of David Sedaris, yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, you know, just there, there's a lot of like, you know, lonely old people out there. Just try being normal and charming to them. To work up to it, right? Well, yeah. I just can one of those lonely old people have that tattoo because I would have no problem talking to them. <laughs> You never know. Yeah, I'm probably know. not. All right, so we're 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 I think we're wrapping up here. Uh, anything you want to tell the audience? I don't know. I don't. I have no example. But plugs. That's usually what I say. But I don't know if you have any plugs. <laughs> I don't really know if I have any plugs. I'm on <laughs> Facebook. If people are interested, I'm always interested to talk to people about you know whatever they're interested in. Um, it's uh, Stephanie Quick on Facebook. Yeah, that would be me. And uh, any. I don't know. I guess that's about it. It sounds like mom wants to say that you're on Twitter. Yeah, but you know what? I tried to log into Twitter uh, just yesterday, and I didn't have my uh, username or my passwords. Oh, all right. <laughs> all right. So you're debatably on Twitter. All right. So follow follow uh, uh, follow you on Facebook if you want to, you know, be friends with Seth, and we'll, um, you know, maybe she'll tell you about Twitter later if if it ever comes back up. <laughs> Set up an account. Yeah. Oh, and uh, I was reminded uh, last episode and the one before that, um, mm -hmm. hey, guys that are listening still, I, I 
I've been doing another podcast called John and Alex Hate Stuff, and it's about movies. Um, I apparently I've not mentioned it on the Alex Cast, or maybe I've, I've maybe they just didn't hear me, but I don't think I have. So, John and Alex Hate Stuff. I mentioned on, it at the beginning of the Alex Cast one of these days. Did I? No, but you could. Yeah, I could. I just keep forgetting. So at least I've done it this time. So at least there's some small evidence of that because uh, that's probably a good idea, but I'm not mm-hmm. good at promotion. <laughs> All right. So yeah, that's that's about it. Uh, um, yes. Thank you for coming on, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. Uh, I was so excited. I was, I was so sad when you were talking about getting rid of the Alex cast. I was thinking, because I always wanted to be on. Of course, I never said anything. So it's very exciting to have this dream come true, as it were. Yeah, there you go. Well, that that teaches all of you out there. All you have to do is is be a vague stalker for a bunch of years, and then eventually I'll have you on <laughs> to talk about stuff. If you do show prep, yes. If you do, if you do my show prep for me, I'm I'm there. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, I'm gonna stop.